if you have a story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to submit your story. Also, if the platform you're listening on has the option to rate this podcast, please consider doing so. And thank you. Back when I was very young, I had a friend that I loved to hang out with, that I'm gonna call Zack. Zack went to the same school as me, but he took a different bus. So, while he did live close, it wasn't close enough for me to walk there. However, both of our families got along, so we spent a lot of time together outside of school. Sometimes at my place, and also at his depending on what we wanted to do with our time. He was an only child and they had a pool, whereas I had two other siblings and no pool. Very important things as a child. So, yeah. Zack and I were pretty inseparable, and each of our homes had their benefits. Zack lived with his mom and dad in his grandparents' home. His grandma passed away when he was much younger, so I never met her, but his grandpa still lived there, and he was pretty cool. Every time I would come over, he would show me some new magic trick. Usually they were card tricks, but he had a few other ones that I remember involving coins or other smaller objects. I thought it was really cool and actually looked forward to it when I would visit. If we pestered him enough, he would finally tell us how he did it and I would go home and impress my family with my newfound knowledge. Then, as summer hit, I found myself staying at Zack's home a lot more. However, my family took a vacation, so I didn't see him for about a week. When we returned home, I was pretty excited to see him as I had bought us matching hats. I went over there, but I felt like something was off. I was young, so my focus on what was different was quickly pushed to the back of my mind. After some time, one of us mentioned something about a trick, and that's when it hit me. I hadn't seen his grandpa at all since I'd been there. Usually, he was already sitting in his chair in the living room when I arrived, but I never saw him there or anywhere else. Not the kitchen, not passing by in the hall not even to go check the mail as he liked to do. So, I asked Zack where he was. His answer was casual as he explained that he hadn't been feeling well, so he'd been staying in his room, only coming out to use the bathroom. He said that his mom, his grandpa's daughter, would even bring him food. That seemed like a pretty sound reason to me, so we just continued on with what we were doing but I became even more curious as I would go over there, and there was still no sign of his grandpa. I asked Zack if we could at least go say hi to him, but he said that he wasn't allowed to go in there. In fact, that day, he told me that he hadn't seen his own grandpa in about a week. When he went to the bathroom, but he remembered how ill he looked, and again chalked it up to not being in there and risk making him worse or getting us sick. I was still very curious, but 
I let it go. I wasn't really able to do anything else. I just expressed to my parents how I was kind of sad about not seeing him. My paternal grandfather had passed away, and my maternal grandpa was not as fun. He was more uptight and very strict. But what struck me as odd was when Zack's family suddenly took a vacation. I thought it was weird because it was towards the beginning of the school year. Of course, I was a little upset that my friend just wasn't showing up for school one day, but I still found it an odd time for a vacation. And my parents agreed. They told me something about how some people can only go at certain times, so I just let it go and patiently waited for him to return. But when he finally returned, and I was able to come over again, things definitely felt off. One of the first things I noticed was all the candles that were always lit. I remember one time when my mom dropped me off, our moms started talking about them, and she told my mom about selling them. Then I noticed the locks on Grandpa's door. It was what I now know as a deadbolt-style lock. I asked Zack about it again, and he said that his grandpa wanted to be left alone, and so he added the lock while they were out on vacation. I may have just been a kid, but everything about this seemed really weird. His grandpa was always the social type and very friendly, so it was so out of character for him to become so reclusive. It was probably life as normal for the next month or so, until one day Zack just wasn't at school. I went home and told my parents, and I tried calling to see if he was okay. No one answered. Then, the next day, he was absent again. My mom said that he was probably gone because he was sick and would return a few days later. But that never happened. Days turned to weeks, and then months. But I never saw Zack again. I was relentless, and I asked to go to Zack's to see him, and my parents reluctantly agreed. But when we arrived, she stopped on the street and showed me how the house had looked abandoned. All the toys and decorations in the yard and on the porch were just gone. My mom quickly told me that it looked like they moved, and apologized that it was so sudden and without knowledge. I remember being so upset for weeks. My best friend just up and left. Even though I know that it wouldn't have been his choice, obviously, and he never told me or warned me about it. It took me some time to finally get past it. I did have some other friends, but Zack really was my best friend. Fast forward, and I'm now 28, and being invited to our high school's 10-year reunion. I was at my parents' house, and the reunion in our childhood was brought up. We talked about mine and my siblings' classes and friends, and the little shenanigans that we would get into. They expressed the feelings for the friends that we had that they liked, and the ones they didn't care for. That, of course, reminded me of Zack. So, I waited for them to bring him up, but they never did. So, I did. I mentioned how I loved hanging out with him, and that his family just got up and left one day. My dad kind of laughed and then cleared his throat, 
while my mom had that obvious look of trying to hide something. I knew that face. She did something similar when she would tell us kids an innocent lie, like to dissuade us from waking up for Santa Claus on Christmas Eve, so I asked her what was wrong. She explained that she knew more about Zack than she let on when I was a kid. Zack and his family didn't just move one day. They were pretty much forced out after a secret they kept was finally dug up. Apparently, Grandpa had definitely been pretty sick, but that was just the tip of the iceberg. When he fell ill, they kept him in his room, but tragically, he passed. However, Zack's parents never reported his death. In fact, they kept his body in his room, covered up, and locked in. My parents bounced ideas off of each other and determined that, based on the timing and what they heard on the news, they probably went on their vacation because of the smell. Then they returned and mom went into heavy cleaning mode, including air fresheners and candles everywhere. When my mom talked to her about candles that day, she said that she could smell something in the air and that it was a smell that she was familiar with. And she used to volunteer for an animal hospital, and they took in animals that were found deceased. She got used to the smell. Because of this, and me telling me all about their grandpa being sick, she called in for an anonymous welfare check. Shortly after, and when I mentioned Zach not being at school, she drove over to their home and saw cop cars and a coroner van out front. She saw Zack's mom out front with a red face and watery eyes like she'd been crying. It didn't take long for the news to pick up on it. Body found in home. Zack's grandfather had died in that house, and they all continued to live there, while he was just left in the bedroom. I was horrified when she told me this, I had stayed in that house while he was there, most likely already dead, but it now made sense as to why my mom didn't let me stay overnight after that day that she came in with me. Some of this was rumored, but putting it all together, it makes sense. Zach's grandparents were pretty well off. They owned their business, but it was shared with their business partner. When he passed, he would leave the business to his partner and not his own daughter. I'm sure he had his reasons. They did live in his house, after all. On top of the business shares, he also got social security checks that were pretty much going into their pockets. And if they reported him as deceased, they wouldn't get any of that anymore. So, they tried to keep up the charade as long as possible. Of course, when the welfare check was called, they demanded they open the grandpa's door, where they then found his body. As soon as Zack came home from school, they were gone. His parents were charged with fraud, so Zack was sent to live with someone else. Someone that we didn't know. So, that's how I found out, kind of, what happened to my childhood best friend. The whole time, I was sad about not seeing his grandpa, and then sad to just unexpectedly lose my friend. My parents, of course, never told me any of this before, which was understandable, 
But now that I'm older, it creeps me out knowing how close I was to a dead body, and that they even knowingly lived there with it. I just hope that Zack, first off, wasn't aware of what was happening, and second, I hope he got to live a happy life after he moved, and got away from his messed up and greedy parents. So, you know how they always say to be careful who you talk to online? I always thought that was just one of those things you told kids to make sure they didn't go around saying, Hi, I'm Jimmy. I live at 1234 Sesame Street in Orlando, Florida. You know, one of those scare tactics that parents use to keep their kids in line and safe. But, let me tell you, I learned the hard way that that warning is for everyone, and everyone should take it to heart. This was a few years ago when I was big into online gaming. I had a regular crew that I would join for raids, and we were pretty unstoppable. But one night I logged in and everyone else was busy, so I ended up joining a random team. One of the members of this team was Henry. Or, at least, that's what he called himself. I honestly don't know if that was his actual name, but he referred to himself as King Henry the Great. He seemed pretty cool. The whole time we were playing, he would remain in character and say things like, King Henry is in need of healing, when he was low on health, and he would use a regal-sounding voice. It was weird, but also kind of funny. We hit it off pretty well, he got me to roleplay a bit in my character, and he knew the game like the back of his hand, so my thoughts were about adding him to our group and maybe getting to know him better. Over the next couple of weeks, we actually became good online friends, if you will. We added each other on social media, talked about life, we even got on discussing comics and some of the, at the time, upcoming superhero movies that we were both looking forward to. Henry had this way about him that just drew you in. He was charismatic, funny, and super supportive. After we got to know each other more and more, it was finally discussed where we lived. I told him where I lived, just some place in central Colorado, and to my surprise, he actually lived in the next town over, around 30-ish minutes of a drive. I want to mention here that I was a 20-year-old guy, and I am gay, and Henry was the type of guy that I was into. Nerdy, fun to talk to, enjoyed the same things that I did, but I wasn't sure if he was playing for the same team. We talked a bit more about ourselves, and I did mention my sexuality to him, and he signed off immediately after I told him. So... I figured that he was someone that had an issue with my lifestyle, and that's okay. If that was his opinion, he was entitled to it. I was upset, thinking I'd lost a friend over something so stupid, but I can't change who I am, and I wouldn't do so just to keep a friendship anyways. It was the next day that I got a message from him again, just saying, Hey. It was a bit off for him, but... 
I responded, saying hi. He then responded with this really long message about how he was sorry that he didn't reply to me yesterday, and how when he learned I was gay, he was a bit shocked. But the more that he thought about it, the more he started questioning himself, because the friendship that we'd had felt like more than that. He said that he felt a connection. I told him that I wasn't wanting anything more than a friendship if he wasn't into it, and that I would never pressure someone into something like that. But he immediately responded saying, I think I'm bi, because I still like women, but I think I have feelings for you. We discussed things a bit more, and after talking about how he was feeling, he mentioned that he wanted to meet up to see if we had the same connection in person. I thought, why not? He was a decent guy. We'd been talking for a couple months at this point. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, how naive I was. We decided to meet up halfway at a decent little cafe, one that I was familiar with, and we set a date. I ended up getting there early, grabbed a coffee, and waited for Henry to show up. And waited. And then waited some more. Henry never showed. I was annoyed and a bit worried at this point. Maybe he'd had an accident or something happened, and he just forgot to message me. I sent him a message asking if he was okay. No response. A whole day went by and still nothing from him. Two days, three. I was hurt, thinking that he and I would actually get along pretty well, be it friends or more, but he'd ghosted me. I checked his social media to see if he'd posted or anything, but no, just complete radio silence. It was like he had just vanished off the face of the earth. But just when I thought the situation couldn't get any weirder, it did. After about a week of no contact, my phone buzzed with a message. It was from Henry. The message was a bit cryptic and unsettling. It read, You looked so lonely at that cafe. It's like you were waiting for your Prince Charming, and he just never showed up. Complete with an attached picture of me staring at my phone, holding my cup of coffee in my hand. I froze. So, Henry had showed up to the coffee shop, but then decided to just not come in and just watch me? Was this some kind of sick joke or something? I immediately messaged back asking for an explanation, but again, silence. I kind of felt a bit paranoid after this. Part of me wondered if Henry was still following me, if he was driving any of the cars that I passed, or waiting at any shop that I'd entered. All he had done was sent me a creepy photo of myself while I was waiting for him, but it was enough to genuinely creep me out. This went on for another week me feeling like he was going to send me another message with another photo of myself. I felt like I was being stalked, even though I don't think I was. I was just feeling like I was. And then, what I guess one could call the finale of his creepy… game. Two weeks after he sent that picture, I got an email, but it wasn't from Henry's account. It was from an email that was literally just a bunch of random numbers and letters. Like the ones that send you a bunch of scam messages, 
The email didn't have any text, and I almost deleted it thinking it was a scam, but when I opened it, I saw a photograph, and then multiple photographs. The first one was a screenshot of Google Maps with a pin over where I lived. The second one was a screenshot of the same map, but zoomed in with a street view so that you could actually see my window. Then, the last item in the email was a video that I was hesitant to open. I figured it was going to be a virus or something, but with the other items attached, and the thumbnail of the video that I saw, I knew that I had to see it. I clicked it, and I was horrified. It was a video taken of my home from outside and across the street. It was pretty dark, but my front light was on, and I could see myself through the window, standing in the living room looking through my phone. There was no timestamp, so I don't know when it was taken, but it had to be recent based on my haircut. After a few seconds of this person recording me and giggling, they panned down to the ground, and lying there in the brush where they were hiding was a handgun. I watched as this man put his hand on the gun that was lying there, and he acted like he was petting it. Like it was a kitten, and he was trying to show it affection. My heart was racing. My palms were clammy and sweaty, and in that moment, I realized just how deep I was into something that I never signed up for. I called the police and explained to the officer when he got there the whole situation. I showed them the email and the video, and I told them that I was pretty sure that this was a guy that I met online. They did take it seriously, thankfully, and they upped the patrols in my neighborhood for a good long while, trying to see if this person ever came back. They never found anyone, or any information based on the email, and the info that I had given them. Oh, and as for Henry, his social media accounts disappeared, his number was disconnected, and I never received any sort of message from him after this. I moved out of that place pretty quick, having to break my lease and move back in with my parents for a while. I got a new number, and I scrubbed my online presence as best as I could. Even now, years later, I still cannot shake that feeling like I'm being watched, stalked, followed by this crazed man. It's a lesson that I learned the hard way. Just because someone seems to be friendly online, just because you think that this person you are talking to is a normal, level-headed individual, absolutely does not mean that they have good intentions. I have a story, or maybe a set of smaller stories, that happened while I was a child. It was something that was recently brought up again between some family members, and while I try my best not to let it get to me, some days it's not so easy. This may be submitted anonymously, but I think overall, I will feel better at least talking about it. Also, I wanted to warn that this happened to me when I was quite young, like up to the age of five or six, I think, so 
Some of it was from my own memory, but there were some missing pieces that have been added by family to help complete the picture for me. My mom was definitely a troubled kid, but I don't think anyone could really answer the why part. She had a good childhood, based on everything I've heard from my grandparents and aunts and uncles. But nonetheless, I was the result of one of her mistakes. She seemed to still be optimistic about my arrival, of course, for all of the wrong reasons. She at first was going to give me up for adoption, something my grandparents even suggested to her, hoping that they could bring her back home and help her turn her life around. But she wanted to keep me and my grandparents supported her and agreed to help her where they could. I wasn't their first grandkid, but they were always loving to us all. As my mom said to my aunt and others in passing, her plans were to use me, basically, as both payback by getting child support from my father, as well as any other financial support that she could get. She bragged about how much money she made just from having a kid to some of her siblings. She never got child support, however, because she couldn't even prove who my father was, and she never did. Also, she didn't stop drinking or using while she was pregnant, and my birth defects and fetal alcohol syndrome proves that. Of course, nothing was done by the state, because she claimed it must have been an early pregnancy because she swore she stopped drinking after finding out. After I was born, some of my earliest memories of her weren't anything spectacular either. I had a small room with toys, most of which came from my grandparents or aunt, and I typically stayed in there by either force or because my mother just demanded it. I remember some nights being hungry, as I hadn't eaten or even just not feeling well, and I would ask my mom for help. She would get pretty angry with me, yelling at me to go back to my room, and that's what I would do. But I was still a child. I would throw tantrums if I was hungry enough, and then she would come storming into my room with something to eat. Or if it was because I wasn't feeling well, she would have some kind of liquid for me to take or a pill. I was still too young to understand you had to swallow it, so I would always chew it, and would cry because it tasted so awful. But shortly after she would bring me something, I would feel incredibly tired, and typically would lay down wherever I was in my room, whether that was on my bed, the floor, or with my toys. And then, when I would wake up, I would always become violently ill. I remember thinking for a long time as I grew up that I must have had something seriously wrong with me, since I would fall asleep immediately after eating and wake up sicker than I was before. There were even times where she would tell me that she had to do something very important, and demanded that I stay in my room no matter what. I remember one thing she used to say, If there's a fire, you best figure out how to open that window. It was her way of saying that I was not allowed to open the door. I never thought about it, but now thinking back on it, at my age and size, I would have never have been able to open one of those windows. When I wasn't being nearly locked in my room, 
I would be dropped off at my grandparents' house, walking down the sidewalk as my mom left the driveway. Their place, however, was much different from my home. They had three meals a day, sometimes even snacks, and when I asked for seconds, they would tease me about being too skinny and would load my plate up with huge helpings. They had a spare bedroom with a chest full of different toys and a dresser full of kids' clothes. I always thought of it like a shopping spree as they always had stuff in there that I hadn't seen before, so I would wear something new and find something new to play with. They welcomed me to watch TV with them in the living room and even played games with me. I was always so torn because I never wanted to leave my grandparents, but when my mom would come back to get me, and if I made a fuss about leaving, she would immediately send me to my room telling me not to come out again. Then, she would come in with a pill for me to take, even if I didn't say that I didn't feel good. But she was still my mother, so I trusted her, so I took it. And then I would soon drift off. So that was my life as a young child, and something that I just found normal as I knew nothing else. But that all changed one day after my mom took us to meet some guy, and after a brief conversation, we went back home. My mom again demanded that I not leave my bedroom until she told me that I could and I would obey. However, as I played with my toys, I had the urge to use the restroom. I called out for my mom, and when she didn't answer, I opened the door and yelled for her again, saying that I needed to use the bathroom. Again, no response, so I told myself that I would use the restroom quickly and then just return to my room. As I walked out of my room, I looked down the hall to the living room and saw her slumped over on the couch like she was sleeping, so I followed through with my plan. I then went back to my bedroom and, shortly after, went to sleep on my own that night. The next morning, I woke up and repeated my plan from the night before. The second time, she was still on the couch, but she was more so laying down rather than sitting up like she had been. I went back to my room and played for a while, until I could no longer ignore the sound coming from my stomach. Again, my mom didn't respond to me calling for her, so I decided to just try and get something to eat for myself. I went to the kitchen, and I found a box of graham crackers that were already open. I grabbed some of those and went back to my bedroom. I think I stayed there until and unless I needed the bathroom. I think I even napped a few times, not having anything else to do. I then remember getting hungry again, so... I went to grab more crackers and went back to my room, pretending that I was camping since I was up so late. I just remember it being dark. Shortly after, I again fell asleep. I woke up the next day repeating the same process, but I remembered thinking it was weird that my mom had not been up and gone to my room all the day prior, and curiosity got the best of me. This time... I walked straight to the living room and can still remember the stench. She'd gotten sick too, all over the couch and herself. I could tell that she was still breathing, 
Not that I could do much about it being a young child, but I wanted to do something different. So at the risk of her waking up and yelling at me, I grabbed the box of crackers and sat on the floor, turning on the TV. I was hoping that she would wake up before then because I was going to be out of crackers. I sat there most of the day watching TV, occasionally going to my room until I heard someone trying the front door. I knew I was told to never unlock or answer it, so instead, I curled up on the couch with my mom hoping they would go away. But not only did they not go away, they were able to open the door. To my pleasant surprise, it was my Aunt Lisa. I remember her face when she walked in and immediately saw my mom and I. It honestly scared me. I jumped up and all I could think to say was sorry. She waved me over and hugged me and looked me all over asking if I was okay and I said I was, but also mentioned that I was really hungry. She asked me to go to my room to get some clothes and toys together as I was going to stay at Graham and Gramps for a while, which made me happy so I did what she asked. The next thing I know... My aunt came to my room, and she looked really sad, and she started putting my clothes and toys that I picked out in a plastic bag. Then, she carried me out the door. I remember looking back at my mom one last time, and I saw her now sitting up on the couch, but her head was still slumped over and her hair was matted with stuff in it. That was the last time that I saw her. My aunt took me to McDonald's before taking me to my grandparents, and I just remember being really happy to be there. My grandma was waiting on the porch for me, and after getting me settled in the living room with my food and cartoons, they all went to talk in the other room. After a few days with my grandparents, I ended up going home with my aunt and uncle, and I lived with them until I was 19. She became what I knew as my mother. I called her by her name, Lisa, but for a while when I had friends around I just called her mom to make it less confusing and to not have to explain it to them. When my aunt and uncle had a kid of their own, they even became like a little brother to me that I adored, and we just became a loving and happy family. It wasn't until I was much older that I learned more about what happened to me all those years ago. You see, as a child, and seeing my mom the way she was, I thought she was just sick. But the truth, as you may have already figured out, was that she was an addict. And when she was having withdrawals or in between, me being around and needing the bare minimum to stay alive annoyed her, and it got in the way. So, she fed me pills and God knows what else to keep me quiet or mostly unconscious. When I went to the doctors as a kid, I remember them doing a lot of tests, and they even took some of my hair. My aunt confided in me years later that that was one of the reasons that she won custody of me. She checked that my mom was still alive, and then called the cops as we left. I appreciated her honesty when she told me that she didn't care if she lived or died, based on how she was treating me. As of today, I have not 
heard from my mom since. She tried to get custody back when I was in grade school, but not only did she constantly fail to show up to any of the hearings or complete any of the paperwork, she also never completed the rehab, which was a requirement. After that, she seemingly just disappeared from our lives. She even stopped calling anyone for birthdays and holidays, and to be honest, I'm okay with that. I'm okay if she is never a part of my life again. She could have easily killed me, pumping me full of whatever drugs she had, and not to mention the different people that she brought around. I'm just incredibly thankful that I had other family members that stepped up when she obviously couldn't. And that's all that matters to me. I know that there are kids out there that aren't as lucky as I was. I used to be a social media addict, treating it like my digital diary. I would post all of my photos, curate my page by liking every single thing I could find that I had even the slightest interest in, add people as friends that I knew or was acquainted with even in the slightest bit. I considered myself tech-savvy, too, never clicking on suspicious links and always keeping my passwords secure and up-to-date. But, despite all my caution, it happened to me. My account was compromised, and, worse yet, I saw it happen in real time. At first, the compromise was subtle. I would log onto Facebook and see that I had left comments on articles that I have never actually read. Odd, sure, but maybe I was just being forgetful, or maybe I was sleep typing. Like I mentioned, I had an obsession, and life is hectic, so it's possible that I had commented and had just forgotten or something like that. Then, I noticed that I had a few friend requests that were accepted, but I couldn't recall sending them. Again, I brushed it off. My job requires networking, so I thought maybe I had just added these people during a particularly busy week and simply forgot. It wouldn't be the first time, really. But then it escalated in the weirdest way. While I was scrolling through my feed, I noticed a message pop up in the corner. It was from my college roommate, Nick, someone that I hadn't spoken to for several years. I grinned, thinking, I wonder what that crazy SOB is up to nowadays. But before I could even react to the message, I saw myself respond. Well, not myself, obviously, but the message came from my account. The reply said, Hey, Nick, long time no see. How are things? I sat there paralyzed for a moment watching this conversation unfold. A conversation that I was actively responding to, yet my hands weren't even touching the keyboard. Whoever was responding seemed to know what to say to sound like me. They knew things about me and my life, and they were using this knowledge to have a convincingly real conversation with Nick. After a few moments, the person pretending to be me mentioned something about being in a rough place financially, 
and said they needed a bit of money to get out of it. I knew what was coming. This guy was about to use my account to try and scam my old buddy out of cash. I knew that I needed to get this guy out of my account, and the first thing I needed to do was change my password. I went into the settings and tried to change it, but it immediately said that my current password was incorrect. How could that be? I had literally logged in less than a couple hours ago, and the password worked. I tried to do a forgot password from an incognito tab, but the email address that it claimed it had sent it to was not the correct one. I'm just sitting there thinking that my account was screwed that this person had full control over everything and I wasn't sure what I could do to fix it. I couldn't lose this account, but if I couldn't get this person out, they were going to scam money out of my friends and family. I was still logged in though, so I wasn't helpless here. I opened the chat with Nick, and I figured that I could try to shut it down. I typed, Nick, this isn't me. My account has been hacked. Don't trust anything that I'm saying. Nick, now thoroughly confused, responded with, What? Is this some kind of joke or something? Meanwhile, the other me was also messaging him, and brushing off my warning as a weird glitch, and trying to divert the attention back to reminiscing. It was then that I remembered I could go to the sessions, and potentially kick this person out. I went to do so, and to my surprise, it only showed the one session my session. After thinking about it, I said screw it and just went to deactivate my account. I went through the process of doing so and I force killed all sessions, logging every one and everything out of the account. Even if it only showed my session, I figured that this was the best course of action. I had no idea if it was going to solve the problem, but it was all I could do to stop what this guy was doing. I spent way too much time logging into all my other accounts, changing passwords, logging out of all sessions and apps, just making sure that everything was logged out and secured. I also contacted Facebook support, which, at that time, was actually helpful, telling them that the account was compromised, and after proving that I was who I was, they locked it out and changed the password to a temporary one one that I had to log in and change right away. I did, but I kept the account deactivated. After a while, I had cautiously decided to go ahead and reactivate my account to see if there was any way that I could recover anything on it. When I logged in, I was surprised to see that the account's information had actually been changed. Not the login information, but the name and everything like that. It was changed to lucky fool. The about me was changed to, you think you're safe, but I'm still around. Their profile picture had been changed to a guy fox mask. Interestingly enough, all of my posts on the account had been deleted. All my friends removed and everything else scrubbed clean. So, I guess whoever hacked it just wanted to destroy it. I was annoyed, but I had to just accept it. For what it was. I made a new account, but just added a couple of close friends and family members, and I didn't like any brands or anything like that, keeping my Facebook footprint as small as possible. 
I don't know how or why this person decided that they needed to mess with me like this. That they had to destroy the account that I had built like this, but they did. And, because of it, I'm always looking over my digital shoulder, if you will. Wondering if someone is still out there watching me and waiting to just do it all again. I have a bit of a weird story, but nonetheless, I still wanted to share it with you. This story took place when I was a sophomore in high school, which was 10th grade. I was an only child and of course by this time expected that I always would be. There were definitely times where I wanted a little brother or sister, especially when I was younger. I craved the sibling bond that a lot of my friends had and even my parents, but I got used to it as I got older. I guess one good thing about being an only child is that my parents were typically willing to let me attend or sign up for any kind of clubs or events that I wanted to. As they put it, they really wanted me to have a happy and fulfilled life. So, while they pushed me to participate in things that would help me as an adult, I also liked to do things that they were a little less thrilled about. It was kind of my way of rebelling. That is why I signed up for the bowling team at my high school. Would I become a professional bowler and make it my career? Would I get a scholarship to a great college for it? Probably neither of those, but seeing my parents' reactions and them willingly cough up the enrollment fees... It was pretty satisfying to me. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't take it seriously, though. I loved it, and I got pretty damn good at it, too. I met several friends during our events, and it was a lot of fun. That's kind of where my story starts. I had a school bowling competition against another school, so that's where I was on this night. My parents attended previous tournaments, but not often. Excuses were anything from, I have to work late, to asking me if I needed them there. And because they had to ask that, I never wanted them there. So, I usually went on the bus with the rest of my league. Anyways, we had our tourney, which we just barely lost, but what I loved about my league and our coach was that it wasn't about winning, so afterwards, we congratulated the other school and we all enjoyed pizza together. One of the girls from the other school had struck up a conversation with me, and after talking for a bit, we got on the topic of games. And then, she invited me to the arcade for a few games of Mortal Kombat. It was actually a lot of fun, and she seemed hella cool, so... I gave her my name and phone number so that we could possibly hang out in the future. She introduced herself as Megan. By the time I'd gotten home, I had already had a friend request from her on Facebook. I thought that it was funny how she found me so fast, but I did have a pretty unique name, so I added her back. We continued talking some that night, and from there, we seemed to be starting a pretty good friendship. I thought it seemed innocent enough, 
until it began to quickly escalate. At first, it would just be a slew of text messages while I was in school. I would text her between classes or during downtime, but if I stopped responding, she would keep going, and then become upset about me not responding, saying childish things like, enjoy your perfect friends at your perfect school. It was really weird and out of nowhere, and the first few times it happened, I would ask her if she was okay, and she would just say that she was having a bad time. But as she continued doing it, I became more brash with her, reminding her that I was in class, something that she should have been doing too. I guess when she wasn't getting the reaction she wanted from the texts anymore, she started showing up at my school as it was getting out. Again, she was in a school bowling league, so she had to be close in age or grade as me, so she had to be getting out of school early in order to meet me as our school let out. Our conversations would start out friendly, usually me asking her how her day was and how she got here so fast, and she would typically avoid answering. But she would end up steering the conversation to me and ask me how my day was. And when I start talking about it casually, you could tell that she was getting upset. I would ask her what was wrong, and she would start becoming sarcastic, and again start teasing me about my perfect school and life. I was pretty fed up with her attitude at this point, especially since I still hardly knew her. I told her if she was just hanging out and talking with me to make fun of me, then she could go fly a kite in nicer terms. I didn't need a bully from another school. She stopped texting me after that, and removed me from Facebook, so I thought that that was the end of it. Silly me, I guess. I continued to spot her near my school, or following me out of the parking lot. Sometimes I walked home as I lived pretty close to the school. I would say something to her, such as asking her what she wanted, but she would never talk to me. So, since she wouldn't talk to me, I would just pretend that she wasn't there. When I would walk home, when she was at nearby restaurants or parks that I went to with friends, I just didn't even look in her direction. I didn't have a clue as to why she would be so nice at the tournament, but then turn into such a mean and antagonizing person. But, here's where things started to take a turn for me. I was finally at my breaking point. I had told my parents about her in passing, but they never really gave it a second thought. They chalked it up to some other kid just wanting someone new to pick on, and basically gave me permission to defend myself if she ever tried to harm me, but that's about all they had to say about it. I had a league meeting at a nearby bowling alley, and I took a bus home from there. I could feel eyes on me, so I looked up from my book, and who else did I spot but Megan. She looked like she was seething, and to no surprise, I had no idea why. I hadn't talked to her for a while, so I couldn't see how she was mad at me. I wasn't surprised when she got off at the same stop as me, but I continued walking to ignore her, I was already in a bad mood from the day earlier, so I finally turned around and asked her what the hell she wanted from me, 
and what the hell I could have done to make her so mad at me. After we both just stood there silently, she finally yelled at me between sobs, only confusing me more. You ruined my life. I have nothing special and you have everything. I hate you and your mother. I was shocked and confused, not knowing what to say or even how to react. I just stood silently as I watched her turn back the way that she came from, and she ran out of view. I continued my walk home, but found myself starting to cry. I couldn't understand why, and I definitely did not understand why I felt guilty. What the hell could I have done to someone I had met less than a month ago to ruin their life? When I returned home, it was pretty obvious that I had been crying, and my mom immediately started asking me what was wrong. My dad was in the room too, but was somewhat preoccupied. I can't remember what he was doing. I began to remind them of the girl, and I told them about Pryor and explained how she had been following me. My mom was already looking curiously at me about the situation. Maybe it was just the rebellious side of me, but they seemed disinterested in me telling them about my problems, so I never bothered speaking about her again. But then I mentioned what happened that night. I told them what she had yelled at me and how I didn't know what to do, but how I still felt really bad about it. My mom looked confused at first not understanding what she specifically could have done, but then we both noticed that my dad had stopped what he was doing and was just staring in my direction. I can't really say he was staring at me, but maybe past me, like he was zoned out. My mom called his name, to which he finally came back to reality. He apologized that I had to experience that and said that he would look into it, making sure it wouldn't happen again. I didn't know what he meant by that, but we just carried on with our night. Later on, I was in my bedroom doing whatever, when I wanted to grab a bottle of water. As I came out of my room, I could hear my parents talking, and I heard my name, so I immediately became nosy. That conversation that they were having changed my life forever. Based on what I heard, I could piece things together, and I had to confront them for it. They couldn't deny what I heard, but tried to just play with words. I was old enough to know better, though. Come to find out, before I was born, my father had an affair. But that affair was with my mother. She was the other woman. His ex became pregnant, but he wasn't ready to settle down yet, so he messed around, and that's how we met my mom. He ended up leaving his ex and signed over his rights to his daughter, saying that he didn't want anything to do with her, but karma came back around apparently, because my mom ended up pregnant with me a year later, and he decided to stick around. I think my mom had a lot to do with that. So this was obviously quite the blow to me. I had always wanted a sibling, and even though my parents did take good care of me, they were also honest, 
and they told me that I would be an only child because they didn't want any more. Hell, they never even wanted one. But finding out that I at least had a half-sister out there had so many emotions swirling in me. She was obviously mad at me, or my family, but I could understand why, and I just wanted to hug her and apologize. My parents, of course, thought that it was a bad idea to get involved for the longest time. I didn't care. I wanted her in my life, even if they didn't want her in theirs. Over time, the relationship with my parents kind of deteriorated. But after a while, my mom understood my reasonings and gave me her blessings. It was difficult at first. Megan was apprehensive and thought that I was just coming around to, I guess, brag further about my perfect life, but she finally began to trust me. We actually had a lot in common. We shared pictures of our childhood, hung out after school, and I even helped her with one of her classes. We grew to actually have a fairly normal sibling bond, and I'm so thankful to have her now. So, there's my story of how my stalker turned out to be a sibling that I didn't know I had. I didn't know what to think of her at first, or what her intentions were with her being so angry and following me, but I'm glad that I happened upon my parents' conversation. And... I'm very thankful to have her in my life now. I have an incredibly unsettling and disturbing story that happened around 10 years ago. When I got married, I quickly realized that I was navigating this new chapter of my life and I needed some guidance. I know that sounds weird, and for a lot of people, marriage is just a word, but I was anxious, and I didn't know if I was doing what was right for my new life partner. I found a social media group called New Wives United, which was dedicated to women like myself, those that had no idea how to navigate this huge change. Those in fresh marriages trying to figure out this whole forever thing. It was generally light stuff. Recipes, how to deal with in-laws, balancing work and marriage, getting to know your partner's friends and not make them think you're ripping them away. You know, the basics. But one user, let's just call her Emily, started posting about an issue she was having with her husband. It all started innocently enough. She posted that she noticed that he seemed a bit distant with her. They'd been married for a year at this point, and that first year seemed perfect. He'd kept the romance, he'd been caring and helpful, but this last month, he'd started going out with the guys, and it was becoming somewhat frequent that he wouldn't be coming home until the wee hours of the morning. The speculation in the group was, of course, rampant. The consensus was that he was probably having an affair, and some were saying that he may have a gambling addiction, 
Others were just saying that he may just not be into you anymore. We all had our theories, but obviously they were just assumptions and none of it was helpful. Then, one of the mods, Dark Mouse, made a suggestion that would set off a chain of events that none of us anticipated. You know, he may be telling the truth, maybe he's going through some stuff mentally, and maybe he's actually spending some time with his buddies. Why not just follow him and see where he goes? The reactions were mixed. Some of us mentioned that this could be dangerous depending on what he was into, but Emily liked the idea. She said that she needed to know the truth, and she signed off with, I'll let you all know what I find. Wish me luck. And then, silence. Emily just vanished from the forum. Weeks went by and the mods kept her thread alive just in case she came back, or in case something happened and they needed it for evidence. Many of us assumed that she had just left the group. Maybe she was embarrassed or heartbroken by what she discovered. But then, one night she reappeared, and her final post? It was... well, it was haunting. It started with, I did what you said to, and I wish that I hadn't. Emily went on to describe how she had followed her husband one night, driving discreetly behind him as he went around blocks, and traveled deeper and deeper into the woods. He didn't go too far out of town, but he definitely wasn't going anywhere near the bar where he claimed he was going. After a while, he pulled off onto a side road in the woods that looked like it led to an abandoned house. The place was barely more than a ruin. It was the kind of place where you would see a ghost hunter recording their videos. But the creepiest part of it all was that he didn't go into the house. And she watched as he pulled open the storm cellar that was partially concealed by overgrowth. She said that she waited in her car, parked far enough away that he wouldn't notice her with her headlights off and her body quaked in terror. What the hell was he doing here? Why was he at this abandoned house in a damn storm cellar? She watched as he went down, and then came back up, locked the cellar up, and drove off, as if there was nothing going on. She said that she thought about confronting him, but after a few moments, it occurred to her that whatever he was hiding down there was worth lying to his new wife about so it wasn't good. She waited for him to drive off, and when she was certain that he was gone, she made a split-second decision to break into the cellar and figure it out. She got out of the car, grabbed a large rock, smashed the padlock, and decided that she needed to go down there to figure this out. She mentioned that her gut was telling her that something was horribly wrong, that she was about to stumble upon something nightmarish. And that's a damn good way to describe what she found. She described this cellar as being this destroyed, damp and rotting room that looked like a room in a horror movie where victims would be tortured. And in the back of the room was a young woman that was chained to a large concrete pillar. She was emaciated, barely alive, and terrified and the second that she saw Emily, she burst into tears and screamed for her to please help her. 
Emily immediately called the police, and she asked the woman what was going on. As it turns out, her husband had kidnapped this woman and had been keeping her captive for about a week by this point. This woman had been reported missing, and her husband was the reason for it. When the police arrived, she had to explain how she'd followed her husband, how she saw him enter and then exit the cellar, and the woman confirmed that her husband was her captor when she was shown the photograph. The reason Emily had disappeared for so long was because she didn't want to post while everything was still being investigated. But now that her husband was charged and was going to be going away for a long time, she felt comfortable enough to tell us what she'd found out. Obviously, her whole life was shattered by this horrifying secret, and the only thing that she was thankful to find out was that this was the first time he had done anything like this, as far as they know. Though, if her suspicions hadn't festered, it most likely wouldn't have been his last. Obviously, no one can know what Emily's husband's end goal was, but we can all speculate. The forum obviously plunged into chaos. Dark Mouse, the admin that recommended she follow him, deactivated her account. And the police started actually investigating the group to see if any of us knew what was going on. None of us did. Emily didn't even know, but they had questions, and were trying to figure out why this all happened. The group was abruptly shut down, probably as soon as the police were done investigating us. It was for the best, because the group was pretty much dead after that. No one wanted to post in the group where all this was brought to light. Now, whenever I find myself scrolling on Facebook or whatever and I consider joining a group that looks entertaining, I remember Emily. It felt like such a harmless suggestion on Dark Mouse's part. She wasn't wrong. He could have just been needing some time to himself, but that simple suggestion destroyed the lives of several people. It was for the best, ultimately, that she found out what he was doing, and she most likely saved that poor girl's life, but... It's such a painful situation, and proof that even those we think we know the best, those that we love and plan to spend forever with, can be monsters that we would never expect them to be. Okay, so I have a weird experience that I don't know how to tag or what category it would fit under. I also have zero proof for any of this, but I swear to you that it happened. And it is the weirdest, creepiest thing that has ever happened to me. I don't know if this was some kind of haunted internet crap, or some weird hack thing that happened, or what, but I'll let you all decide what the hell it was. So, I used to be into buying random crap in online auctions, and yes, it was all crap. I needed none of it, and I ended up reselling pretty much everything I ever bought in a garage sale when I became unemployed at one point. I bought vintage toys, rare books, stuff that I didn't even know existed. I loved scrolling through the listings, 
and there was a certain thrill of the hunt more than actually getting the items themselves. However, there was one auction that fits what I mentioned above. Weird, terrifying, downright chilling, and I have no idea what it was. I was just sitting there, coffee in hand, lazily browsing an online auction site on a Sunday afternoon. You know the drill. Click, scroll, yawn, repeat. As I was passing by random listings, something caught my eye. It was an antique mirror, Victorian era, I believe, intricately carved and, honestly, it was mesmerizing. It was gorgeous, and to my surprise, there were zero bids on it. It's a bit of a red flag for sure, but curiosity got the best of me. I put in a bid, a pretty low one, thinking that someone else would come along and outbid me. Interestingly enough, no one did, and I got this thing for damn near nothing, plus shipping. The mirror arrived in a large, crate-like box. It was heavier than it looked, and it took me a while to get it inside and set up. Honestly, it was even more gorgeous in person. There was a small amount of damage on one side of the wood, but nothing that wasn't listed in the auction description. I mounted it in my bedroom, and I thought it was perfect. Now, this is where things got really freaking weird. I started to get random notifications, or see texts on various pages that didn't make sense. Every item I would click on would have text in the description that said, Is this for you or that beautiful mirror? I went to another page and got a pop-up for mirror cleaner that said it was for my beautiful mirror. At first, I laughed it off, thinking it was really weird and coincidental. Surely just a bug or my brain playing tricks on me or something. This was a time before everyone knew that websites tracked your information non-stop, so to see information about mirrors on other sites was a bit strange. But seeing it in the description of the items was downright confusing. I would click on something else that I may want to bid on, and it would say that, is this for you or that beautiful mirror thing? It didn't matter if it was another antique, if it was some kind of kitchen gadget, somewhere in the description those words would be pasted. I went to read the news on another page, and all over the ads were the words, your beautiful mirror. There were news stories that were broken into multiple parts, and in between the parts were things like, This is perfect for your beautiful mirror. You know that eerie feeling you get whenever you're alone, but you feel like you're not? Yeah, that crept over me. Every single time I got one of those notifications, I would feel it. This wasn't just over a few minutes, either. This was days maybe a couple weeks even, and every site that I would go to would mention the freaking mirror. When I was getting ready for bed one night, I went over to my dresser and looked up in the mirror, and I swear on everything that I saw something, I don't know what, standing behind me in that mirror. That was the last straw. I grabbed the mirror off my wall, walked it down the stairs, and I put it by the dumpster in the complex's parking lot. I went back upstairs and just 
stared out the window at that damn mirror, waiting for it to somehow teleport back into my room or something. Of course, that didn't happen, and when I got up the next morning, it was gone, probably taken by some other poor soul that liked the looks of it. The weirdest thing, that next morning, I got an email from the seller that said, I hope you enjoyed your beautiful mirror. Enjoyed, as in past tense. As if this person knew that I no longer had the mirror. After that, there weren't any more mirror-based notifications. They just completely stopped as if they never existed. Now, I know that this is probably the silliest story you have ever read, but I would swear on literally anything that this all actually happened. And I have never felt more terrified than while I had that stupid mirror. Like I said, a haunted mirror, a haunted internet auction, haunted internet? I have literally no damn clue, but it scared me. And it was over the minutes that I got rid of that stupid mirror. I've always been a bit of a night owl, the kind of person that stays up all night, much to my own detriment. I've also been the overly trusting type, and I love to talk to new people, so I'm also a pretty avid user of various social media apps. There was one that I used that isn't around anymore. I think it was called something like Nocturne or Nocturnal. I don't remember the specifics, and this was way back in the beginning of smartphone apps, so my apologies. It was a bit of a unique type of social media app. It was designed for people that were up late to talk to each other anonymously. It was kind of neat. You couldn't even log in unless the time on your device was between 11pm and 5am. So... Basically, you could talk to people in seven different time zones. A good distance. And you could add interests like movies, music, books, just random things that you liked. It was a pretty neat way to chat with people and pass the time. I chatted with a lot of people over the few weeks that I used this app, but eventually, I ended up finding one person that I really liked chatting with. A user named Bird's Eye View. Though, I just called him Bird. We had a lot in common. We both loved the same obscure indie bands, were into true crime stuff, and even shared a few favorite books. Our chats were pretty silly and lighthearted, but some of them did shift to deep and philosophical. Now, I will say that one of the things that Bird was really philosophical about was death. He wasn't obsessed with death or really anything creepy, but he would oftentimes say that he was depressed and that he was just stuck thinking about his own death. He would ask me what I thought happened after we died, if I thought dying hurt, or if it really just felt like you were really tired and went to sleep. It was a bit darker, but it was never something for alarm. He just seemed to have a lot to say about things. Then, one day Bird asked me if I wanted to try a new feature in the app called 
visions. It was kind of cool. It was a lot like Snapchat. You could send a picture and it would be deleted a few hours later. It wasn't immediate, but it was within the day. I think it was 12 or 24 hours. These visions were also stripped of all personal information when viewed so that you couldn't screenshot it and attribute it to anyone else. Like, you could see who it was from on the list, but when you clicked on it, that info was not visible. The first few visions were innocent enough. Memes, pictures of nature, random things that just looked neat that we wanted to share. But then, Bird sent me a vision that actually bothered me. It was a picture of a hand, and the hand was covered in what looked like blood, and with it was the text, I know what death feels like now. I took the conversation out of the visions and sent him a direct message saying, Yo, bird, what the hell is that about? He didn't reply with a DM, but instead sent me another vision. This time it was a picture of his face but he was wearing a ski mask. The message attached to it said, I may have done something bad. I just stared at this picture, thinking about that one and the last one, and trying to piece together if this was some kind of prank. I chuckled nervously, but responded saying, Bird, that's not funny, dude. Don't joke about things like that. This time he did respond in a message. It said, It's not a joke, and I'll prove it to you. I won't describe the visions that he sent after this in detail, but I will say that they painted a really disgusting crime scene. It started with an image of broken glass on a back door, an image of a random kitchen, and then pictures of a living room with a person lying on the floor. He sent photos of a large knife covered in red, the red-stained carpet, and then a photo of a woman's lifeless face. He then sent a message saying, She fought me for a bit, but I was too strong for her. Death is painful, by the way. I asked her before she died how she felt, and she just looked at me with wide eyes. I asked her if it hurt, and she told me that it did. So, yes, death is painful. So, immediately after this, I called the police. I was able to explain pretty well all the information about what he had sent me, and I had to explain to the officer that arrived that I didn't know this man, that I didn't know where he lived, his name, his current location. All I could show them was the images he was sending me and tell them what I did know about him, which was next to nothing. I'm guessing they probably had to get information on him from the app developer, but I wasn't able to help much. I ended up deactivating my account after that, and deleting the app entirely. Like I mentioned before, the app ended up going offline not too long after all this went down. I would guess they weren't capable of handling the anonymous image sending system like they thought, and people were probably sending illegal content. Obviously, I never heard from Bird again, and I have no idea if they caught this guy or found out anything about him, but I hope that they did. Now, 
I only have a Facebook account that is locked down, and I only had people that I know personally. I know that my experience is one that isn't common, or really even likely to ever happen again, and it's been years since this happened, but I think I was mentally traumatized that this guy that I thought was pretty cool ended up being some kind of psychopathic murderer. Hey there, friends. I hope that you enjoyed this collection of scary stories on this episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. If you did, make sure that you follow the podcast on whatever platform that you're utilizing. And if the platform you are on has a rate the podcast option, please consider doing so. Those ratings push the podcast into the algorithm and we all know how the algorithm controls everything, so... Yeah. I also do have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash asthereavendreams, you can support the channel further. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get early access to all of my content in audio format. The content's a little different, as it's based on what I upload to my YouTube side, but it's the same stories. Just in different collections of stories than how they're presented here. Speaking of stories... If you have one you would like to submit to me, please go to asthereavendreams.com and click the button in the middle of the screen that says Submit Your Story. Now, these stories are mostly sourced by listeners, so let's keep the podcast alive. If you've got one, I'd love to read it. Anyways, friends, I hope you're all having a beautiful day and a lovely week, and I hope I see you again very soon. But until then, remember you're loved, you're valid, you're important. You're the best you that you can be. Never forget it. And until next time, much love and sleep well.